Welcome everybody to the Christian Marauder as we continue to explore the book of Revelation in today's message entitled Agents of Hell Unleashed. Did you know that Revelations chapter 5 Jesus was handed God's war plan on how he intends to enact judgment against the most crafty diabolical foe the devil and all that are under his spell? Did you realize that folks? A plan designed to expose before all what evil does to God's name, his creation, his order, his design, his people, on a scroll that is written on both sides as a testimony against the works of the household of darkness and what it intends for the household of God. God wages war unlike anything we can fully think or imagine in ways way beyond our full comprehension. How he wages war by turning the rebellious over to a debased mind, as Romans chapter 1 verse 28 says. He says that. He turns the wicked over to a reprobate mind. A reprobate debased mind is one that feels no remorse, has no misgiving of conscience. It's turned over to what one idolizes and aspires to and wants and desires above all else. It is truly a brainwashed mind turned over to a demonized way of reasoning. You can't reason with people with a reprobate mind. You really can't. They're on a tangent. They'll justify theft, robbery, trickery, anything. Uh, the ends justify the means with these people. Well, God wages war by saying, uh, like he has in the past. Okay, you want a world without me? Here you go. And after a while, he comes back and say, by the way, how's it working for you? This is part of God's war plan for judgment designed to expose before all justly the nature and intents of evil. God wages war by using the wicked prepared for a day of doom, just like the Bible teaches. In other words, he pits the character and nature of evil against itself, exposing its true intent, uncovering the full extent of all its lying nature for all the world to see. As Proverbs chapter 16 verses 4 and 5 says, out of the New King James, the Lord has made all for himself, yes, even the wicked for a day of doom. Everyone proud of heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Verse 5 defines clearly how this works. God will use wickedness to destroy the wicked by pitting their own nature and character traits against each other, folks. I tell you that. That's what he's saying. That is one way God wages war. He uses the wicked to inflict doom on those who err, who join in rebellion against God, who threaten his righteous order and design. That is a biblical principle seen throughout the Bible and scripture. In a, for example, in ancient Israel, they rejected God, and they got so bad, God sent warning after warning, return, return, return back to him. But these people were, were just going to turn, make God into their own image and likeness with these false idols and stuff. What, so what did God do? He unleashed their enemies against them. As it says, the wicked are made for a, do, a day of doom. He sent Assyria to take care of the northern rebellious tribes and scatter them abroad and then he did the same to judah when judah fell and they were sent to babylon and then when they repented they were drawn back into the kingdom and then it happened again and when in, and then rome came and the temple was destroyed all that happened folks the, the lord has made the wicked for a day of doom but you might say that sounds so unfair really when god's people stray away into the ways of the world no longer shining the light of god and using sugar rather than salt to preserve the world you will see culture of a nation collectively legalizing sin as the legalized law of the land when that happens folks it opens the door wide to the enemy to come right on in with its tyrannical control folks 
After all, Proverbs 16, verse 5 says, Everyone proud of heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. That is how he makes the wicked for a day of doom. People will join themselves to those of proud of heart, and they both will not go unpunished. God has made the wicked for a day of doom, and they will be unleashed. In fact, in Revelation chapter 6, we see this happening. With that, let's jump right into our study. Revelation chapter 6, 1 out of the New King James says this, Now I saw, when the Lamb opened one of the seals, I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, just a thunderclap, Come and see! Come and see! Now the voice like thunder saying, Come! Come and see. The, well, the Greek word come means come, as in go forth. It's actually a command to go forth. It refers to a command to the four riders to go forth and those around to come and see this happen at the same time. That's why it's translated both ways. I know just how it is. So the command is given in eternal time. Come and go forth. Come and see. Come, John, and watch and record everything that you see. That's what that phrase means here. Notice verse 2 says, And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him had a bow and a crown. That's a victor's crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Well, folks, there are two fallen entities being mentioned here, and I wish the church world, when they teach the book of Revelation, will realize you're talking about spiritual foes, the principalities and powers that are mentioned in Ephesians chapter 16. But for some reason, in many studies of the book of Revelation, this is obfuscated and people ignore it, and thus they miss what the Lord's actually trying to point out here. There's a horse and there's a rider. You know, there's a horse with a rider. There are two fallen entities mentioned here. The first appears as a white horse, and the second appears as a rider. Horses in ancient war were used solely for conducting warfare. They were not used for plowing or transportation. They were used as agents and weapons of war. Okay, these four horses represent the head demonic Ephesians 6. 12 principalities who carry their top rulers of darkness to war against God, whose purpose is to lie, rob, kill, and destroy humanity in a vain attempt to disprove God that he ain't all what he says he is, okay? The war horses bore their riders, get the picture, in a high, intimidating picture. A mounted commander sat above his troops and could see further than they. They got their orders. They moved swiftly. A mounted warrior could also move swiftly and be carried about to do whatever the leader's commands want with force and intimidation. So the idea of the war horse is intimidation. Do we see a lot of intimidation happening now? Now, did you know that the top Mesopotamian god was a fallen angel who was, goes by the name Anu, A-N-U, Anu? Anu? I'm not talking about Mark and Mindy, folks. This is Anu. The, did you know that three colors are associated with Anu? You can look up a quick reference on Wikipedia to verify what I said, even though Wikipedia is not the best source, but it's just simple. You can look it up. There are three colors associated to them. Do you want to take a guess what three colors are associated with them? Well, you got it. White, red, and black. The same three colors of the writers. According to my research, Anu is the one we call the leader of the fallen watchers, Satan. Others disagree because of a storyline. Because of that, very few pay attention to the one who now stands behind the curtain calling all the shots. Well, folks, the reason why people disagree, and that's okay because this is not an exact science. I'm just telling you my hypothesis here. 
because Anu's storyline teaches humanity the need to rebel against the old order and set up a new order by the younger gods by overthrowing Anu's old order. Okay, and people go right there. Well, he and they just paid no attention to the one now standing behind the curtain. Even though his storyline makes it look like the younger gods are overthrowing him, this is called a psyops, a mirroring, to teach humanity to rebel against God's order. This is done, get this, so that Anu, the devil, cannot be directly identified as being totally responsible for trying to overthrow God's order. The devil can look up and say, hey, uh, they're, they're going after me, God, uh, not you, thus pitting God's absolutely sense of justice against itself okay to get away with it the old devil was called in the garden of eden what the most cunning and crafty anu is largely unknown he fades out of the picture but remains hidden behind his entourage still there calling all the shots hiding behind the curtain just like the devil in the book of job walking to and fro amongst the earth folks anu's main color is white or ironically it's white Hmm, interesting. The secondary colors are red and black. Interesting, isn't it? Two, two of the writers are that color. In my opinion, these colors indicate the military use of colors that signify army groups, corps, divisions, legions, which identifies two other horse and riders under his command. Just think about it. Satan is called the Shining One. He's an angel of light. A white light, actually. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's and according to my research he is the white horse who bears his white rider how do i know this i want you to keep tracking with me for a bit question comes then who is the rider well david guzik's commentary answers who the white rider is and i'm going to quote from david guzik's commentary and, and on this verse in section d and section i he went out conquering and to conquer this final satanic dictator over men will be more terrible than all previous dictators were. He will rule over men as a false messiah and lead man into organized rebellion against God in the pattern of Nimrod, his first predecessor. He is the one often called the Antichrist. The idea of satanic dictator over men goes all the way back to Nimrod, the ruler over Babel in Genesis chapter 10 verse 8, 14, where it says he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. This is the same sense that he was a mighty hunter of men and that he did this offensively in the face of God, end quote. So Anu, the great dragon of God, is the one who carries this rider. How do I know that the devil is the white horse? How do I know that? How do I know that? Does there any scripture that verifies what I'm, what I'm, what I'm trying to say here? that david guzik just simplified it for you that the writer is the antichrist okay let's let's keep looking here revelation chapter 13 verse 4 says this so they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast the antichrist and they worship the beast saying who is like the beast who is able to make war with him the dragon is in revelation chapter 12 is identified as satan the great dragon of old okay so they worship the, the devil who gave authority to the beast. So you have an intimidating presence who's going to bear his antichrist figure who has all the lying signs and wonders of the dragon, of the, this beast is going to have, folks. Think about it. That's how I know. The Bible says so. Hear that? 
Who gives, again, who gives the Antichrist his power and authority is the devil himself. Now back to Revelation 6, 2 out of the New King James. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, he who sat on it had a bow, and a victor's crown was given to him, and he went out to con conquer and conquering. Folks, everything is important when you study Bible prophecy. Even biblical color meanings that are established in the Bible um, are very important to look at. Why is this horse white? Why is the rider white? Okay, well, in biblical color meanings, white symbolizes several things, such as purity, light, festivity, having festivals and happiness, triumph, righteousness, salt, holiness, glory, priestly robes of righteousness. White also typifies divinity, as in a son of God or a, a son of God or the totality of God himself and his light. Okay. Again, look at how the symbolism for white fits in here. It fits the Antichrist's role. The Antichrist comes as the role of a deliverer, who appears as a pure messenger of light and hope, a savior for humanity. White symbolizes triumph, and he is given a victor's crown of triumph to conquer. White also indicates festivity. There is a festival of an old god called Dionysus, Adonis, and several others. They're the same thing of a demigod that they, someone is trying to release out of the abyss. You know, Ishtar goes down into the abyss to try to get uh, Demimus out or Tammuz out of the abyss. Do you remember when I went through the, the seven churches and also in the last few messages how I always points back to a dead and dying God theme of festivity and, and, and great debauchery and stuff like that? Well, debauchery is used to distract people from knowing what is going on that will help prepare the way for the Antichrist. So you're going to have a bunch of pure white festivity in order to distract people so a Dionysius, the dead demigod theme, can be raised out of the abyss. And so Ishtar can go back and get Demimus out of there. You know, it's the same storyline, folks. Uh, so this tells me that the Antichrist is going to be festive. He's going to use distractions to distract the masses from what's going on. And he'll be very likable. He'll come as an angel of light, folks. White also symbolizes both divinity and sonship, which the Antichrist claims to be God. Don't you know? For those who study this, the writer is the fallen entity known to the ancient Greeks and Romans as Apollo who is also called Nergal in the Babylonian pantheon, also known as Reshfesh in the Canaanite religious tradition. These are all the same entities. This is the plague god, one of the gatekeepers of the underworld. All three were archers. They're the same ones. They're just finger puppets of the same entity. In fact, the Antichrist, in my opinion, will be possessed by this entity known as Apollo Nergal, Reshfesh, who appears as an angel of light to bring forth a new form of righteousness and hope on earth, setting up the devil's utopia of, guess what, social justice warriors, of revenge. And you got to understand that Apollo, Nergal, and Reshfesh were also lawgivers of justice and enforcers of that justice. I bet you didn't know that. All this is done for to establish totalitarian control freak control over the world that seduces people by use of deceptive slogans like fairness your best i have your best interest in heart do this for your protection rights and freedoms without boundaries is freedoms that's a call they have you know anything goes is what they want it, it, and they don't use the arts and entertainment to distract you so you don't know uh, what's going on you won't see the lion circling around you roaring ready to pounce and devour you. 
In fact, let's look at the how the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 11, verses 21-45, describe the Antichrist. I'm just going to give you a synopsis here out of those verses. Um, Daniel describes the Antichrist as a vile person who shall come in peacefully with a small number of people. He'll seize the kingdom by intrigue and makes a covenant with many with great deceptive dragons, spoken words like social justice, wear a mask for your neighbor, do this for, you know, for the good of humanity. You know, they have all the answers. That's dragon speak. He shall cause the elites to rule over many and divide the land for gain. He will act deceitfully. He shall be like a good Marxist to disperse among them the plunder, the spoil, and riches. And he shall devise his plans against the strongholds to bring them down by strongholds of intrigue. He shall corrupt with flattery those that hate God's people. He will turn against God's people and make war against them. His cronies will defile the sanctuary, take away the daily sacrifices, and help set them up as the abomination of desolation that sits in the temple, as Paul writes about, who claims himself to be God. Think about it. He's going to do all according to his own will. He'll exalt and magnify himself above every god, speak blasphemies against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished he will honor a god of fortresses a god which his fathers did not know he shall honor with gold and silver with precious stones and pleasant things folks i gotta tell you the globalist elite want a world without god and a messiah like this so they can rule alongside of him controlling all aspects of life as their you know we'll just be their subjects their serfs folks a god of fortresses that is in other words this is what the the idea of fortresses you set up a fortress of a way of thinking inside of a culture inside of a nation you set up a fortress a way of laws to enforce thinking a certain way and and that is this antichrist figure is going to be a master of he and the fallen watchers are going to teach their human elites how to implement these fortresses to subvert and take over the world and they are steering the world to that end right now educating the masses to accept it they're setting the stage for the white rider to ride with them helping to control it all as the iams of the world ushering in the new golden dawn the biblical color meanings of each horse and rider also helps identify how each will help prepare the way for the antichrist appearing all throughout history for example the shades of meaning for the color of, of white again is what purity, light, righteousness indicates that we'll see at first a worldwide push for the devil's definition of what justice is, in modern terms, becoming culturally woke. Oh, so pure and right and holier than thou attitude is going to uh, prevail. Yes, and only they can define what equality means by dividing of the spoils to control it all in order to make the masses comply with their brand of enforced conformity as a right to behold. And um, if you obey, you get the slice of the pie. If not, you're ostracized, you can't hold a job, and you're left to die unless you bow your knee and bend your knee to their will. This is... This is hell on earth is what they want to do with great deceptive slogans, much far more de deceptive than what the devil even spoke to Eve in the garden. Social justice. Okay, fairness and equality for all, as they define it. No free speech. Free speech is too offensive. If you offend somebody, we have to silence you. In other words, it doesn't matter if they offend you. 
If you offend their order, they'll silence you. Does that sound like freedom? When Jesus opens the four seals, um, he has given these fallen world over to what they want. A world without God, where humanity is king. The I am to rule the world. He's going to let, the, let them have at it. Why? Proverbs 16 verse 5 says, Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Look at Revelation chapter 6 verse 3 and 4 at the opening of the second seal. We're going to see this happen. And I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse of fiery red went out, and it was granted to the one that sat on it to take peace from the world, and that people should kill one another. And there was given him a great sword. Again, I'm going to use David Gusick's commentary, what he says about this verse, and I quote in section A. Another horse, a fiery red one, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. This writer doesn't need to bring war and destruction. All he needs to do is take peace from the earth. Once this peace, God's gift to man, is taken, men rush in with war and destruction, end quote. Then who, then, is the red horse and rider? Well, first, we're going to look at the horse. <laughs> the horse you know, with the color red and how color red is associated with certain entities, out, uh, principalities of the Ephesians 6 crowd, who is going to give authority to the red rider. Everyone looks at the red rider, but very few people look at the horse. Well, the red horse, as best as I can, I can tell, is Ishtar, Artemis, Diana, whose storyline is found in the patron gods over the seven cities mentioned in Revelations chapter 2 and 3. Artemis, a.k.a. Iana Ishtar, storyline seeks to help bring out of the abyss a dead rising demigod back to earth to rule humanity. Get that Dionysus out, get the festivity going, distract people so they can't see it coming. Save so Iana Ishtar wears red too. We'll see that later in the book of Revelation about the whore of Babylon. I'm just, just, just going to let you think for a second. And Iana Ishtar, Ashtardi, they're all the same being. Azra, the same being. Just finger puppets, okay? The same being. Likes to dance in red blood of her enemies. I bet you didn't know that. So the red horse, as best as I can tell, is Ishtar, Artemis, Diana. With that, look at what the red symbolizes. Red symbolizes blood, war, warnings. Red can represent the atonement of salvation, redemption, courage, holy fire, life, atonement, understanding uh, a covenant, how to work a covenant, sign of victory or warning, a sacrifice and courage. This is what they're going to implement inside of their minions. Not how we Christians think of it, the what the colors mean, but what they think. Uh, for example, they want redemption from God's order. They want the courage to carry it out. They want to implement holy fire of revenge on people. They want a life of atonement away from God's order. They want to bring everybody into an understanding of the devil's covenant as a sign of victory. And if you dare go against them, they'll send you all kinds of warning. They're demanding of their followers great sacrifice and courage to lie through their teeth to carry it out and do anything that ends justify the means. Well, these descriptions fit both the role of Ishtar and the writer who seeks to bring redemption from God's wrath through the rise of the Antichrist and gives courage to those who carry on with the plan of one world government to carry this out no matter the cost or the lies needed to get there, who empowers her top legion commander, the writer, to take peace away from the world by increasing lawlessness and chaos in order to reset Reset, reset the existing order and replace it with the evils of a, of a synthetic version of redemption. Just as occultic Alice and Foster Bailey taught, as H.P. Blavatsky and Crowley and a host of other occultists teach. 
basically the message is clear burn down the system or in modern terms reset it into their own image and likeness of fairness justice and total control of all so who is the writer bore on the back of this entity who's given uh the ent this entity the red rider its power to take this type of peace away from the world by implementing lawlessness and chaos so who is the writer well well first off he's going to be related to the color red because red and is associated with this you can look in a wikipedia there and you can find out what deities are related to the color of red i'm going to use the greek and romans and the canaanite version of it uh, red is Aries, a.k.a. Mars. Uh, Chemosh is also associated with fire <coughs> and fiery red. So they're all the same. To my opinion, they're the same. And Chemosh might be different, but I'm, I'm, I'm leaning that he is Aries, Mars, the war god here. So he is a military commander, a ruler of darkness under Ishtar's command, who's going to go forth and take peace away from the earth. Ares Mars gets his authority from their commander Ishtar. That's who this is. This is just one being, goes by many different names. Um, so he's riding on his, her authority to make all manner of war against God's order and design in order to change it. When Chemosh or Ares, whatever name you want to apply here, we will see a rise in lawlessness and chaos and anger and division along with anything that takes peace away from the world through redefining the beauty, the arts, and co commerce, through distractions to reshape culture, what we will see is a rise, a real fifth column at work in all the governments, all education system, all in the family, all everything. A uh, real fifth column in order to create chaos. So people will go will gladly give up their liberties and freedoms for the Antichrist to say, rides in as, on his white horse as the Savior. The red horse and rider prepares the way for the Antichrist to come to power in history by taking peace and stability away from the earth, creating chaos to get people into fear mode as they can be easier to control and manipulate it, preparing from above so the below can rise up and rule all, welcomed with open arms as the savior from chaos that they themselves have made to happen, to take peace away from the world. Do you get the picture? So all humanity walks in lockstep to get a world government into power that can control the life of every man, woman, and child on earth, tracking them every move they make. Now we enter into the realm of the Black Rider. Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. Again, I'm going to go back to David Guzik to help refine this quickly of what this verse means. And I quote from David Guzik on these verses here, on section A, B, and I. A black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. The scale symbolized the need to carefully measure and ration food. This speaks about a time of scarcity. A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius means that it would cost a day's wage to buy the ingredients for a loaf of bread. This describes a time of famine when life will be reduced to the barest of necessities. Section I. However, understanding to the ecological balance, it would not take much to plunge many into the kind of scarcity and inequity mentioned here. So let me interject and say something here before I go back and read David Gusick's here. 
they're going to inject things like climate change anyone you know i've read the documents they're planning for food shortages in order to carry out this out they want everyone to comply and give up their rights they're using behavior modification techniques to get people under their control why are you wearing a mask well, that's for a protection, but the CDC says that uh, COVID's on the rise, so mask wearing must not be really effective. Uh, the governors of like California go sit in a in a restaurant and with their buddies and yup it up, but you can't go to a restaurant. Do you get the picture? Do you get the picture? You're being controlled. Food shortages are planned in order to everybody to force into one world government or the new world order. David Guzik continues, and I quote from Section C. When he talks about this, do not harm the oil and the wine means, yet the nicer things will be available for those who can afford them. There will still be oil and wine that should not be harmed, end quote. This describes total control and dividing up of the world into three classes of people. The large class is the surf class, that's you and me, who are held in check by the overseas set up by the elites, who are fed by the elites. Basically, this is communism for all except those on the top. We live merely to exist to uh for the lords and masters to, and the nobles to be noble gases passing whatever they want to pass and living in their ostentatious lifestyles we grow their food we are kept in a, in a state of slavery this is the liberty and freedom they have for the world folks b who could the black horse be well the black horse is associated with saturn aka Enlil. black is saturn's color also black is also related to the fallen watcher known as naboo the scribe of Marduk, a.k.a. Tho of Egypt, a.k.a. Hermes and Mercury of Greece and Rome. So you have the, uh, the black horse looks like Enlil or Saturn, and there are other entities that are associated, and that is Nabu, Mar uh, Tho, Hermes, okay? Nabu, a.k.a. Tho, Hermes, were the old gods of writing, wisdom, literacy, who kept accounts of credit and debt. So the horse is Saturn giving authority to Nabu to keep the accounts of credit and debt. This fits Saturn, a.k.a. Enlil, a leading principality who empowers his top commander, the writer, Nabu, to go forth to do their task of controlling who gets what, to enforce compliance in modern terms, a new world order. This also lines up with what black symbolically means in the Bible, too. Black is the primordial color of creation, a new sign of reshaping everything into a new image and likeness, a sign of humiliation, as, Lam as Lamentations 4.8 says, Revelation 6.5, Jeremiah 8.21 all mentions black as a sign of humiliation. This can mean that we will see an, an increase happening when this entity starts coming to power uh, and tracking system being developed, an increase in, in humiliation and intimidation. Saturn was good for that. He was an abuser. Sound familiar? Ever heard of a blacklist being people talking about now after this election? Saturn gives authority to mark people for humiliation, ostracization, and intimidation who don't comply with the writer's will. So let me say this, folks. Just before the Antichrist appears, the foundation has to be laid. So there will be a worldwide blacklist and ostracization and humiliation against anybody who resists. Are we seeing that now? 
Next, black also symbolizes judgment, death, famine, mourning, and evil, affliction, and calamity. With that, we will see a push for worldwide control of the world's food supply in order to control the population to sustainable 2030 levels and govern the serfs to ensure they comply with the new world order of, oh, oh, so just benevolent one world government who uh, benevolently will uh, commit genocides and commit crimes benevolently in order to control the world with control-like tyrannical control with this bookkeeping, this Naboo-like bookkeeping. In fact, this type of record-keeping is seen in the Mark of the Beast. Before that can happen, record-keeping and data collection needs to develop to such a degree that it can handle tracking everyone a serf buys, sells, or does, who they communicate with, and so forth, to see who's worthy of food and who is not. Are we seeing these types of technologies being developed now worldwide and implemented. Do we see a silencing and humiliation of what is truly good and on what's reasonable? It's irrefutable. You have to be hiding your head in the sand to ignore what's going on right now. A black horse and its rider seek to control the black horse Saturn and his rider Naboo. <laughs> seek control of the world's economic system. How? By controlling famine, pestilence, and having a monitoring and tracking system to decide who gets food, who gets what, to have a cashless society develop so they can maintain control, top-down control of everything. So again, is this happening? Have you ever noticed the supercomputer technology that we're witnessing today? Why? It's laying the groundwork for a new world order. Why doesn't the church say anything about this? They are distracted. They're busy doing this and that, and they're paying no attention to anything. A few are, hallelujah, but by and large, very few are paying attention to the lion roaring, circling about them, ready to pounce. So, folks, look at this scripture again. Proverbs 16, verse 5. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. So you have the world's elites, folks, joining in with the watchers who are inspiring them, who many of them actually worship as proven with uh, John Podesta's spirit cooking email. These people, very Luciferian in their thoughts. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Revelations chapter 6, verse 7 and 8 talks about the fourth seal. When, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice from the fourth living creature say, Come and see. In other words, come, this is being released. John, see it and write it down. That's what that word means. So I looked and behold a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed him with all, and power was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death. Okay? And by the beast of the earth. I'm going to go again. For time's sake, I'm going to quote David Guzik's commentary, section A and B, on who the pale horse is. A pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death. This last writer shows up that there will be a tremendous death toll from dictatorship, war, and famine, and the other calamities described in the previous three horsemen. Power was given to them over the fourth of the earth to kill. Power is given to the horsemen and given by God. Though all hell is breaking loose on the earth, God is in, in, in very much control. He still holds the scroll, and he's still opening the seals. End quote. So who is a pale horse entity that gives the rider his marching orders? Who is that head principality? Because we know the writer's name is Death. The scriptures just say that. So who is the main principality who gives the writer authority 
might be a Mesopotamian entity that goes by the name of Urshkaigal, a.k.a. Ninkaigal, known as the Lady of the Great Earth, or Mother Earth, known also as the Queen of the Dead. Isn't that interesting? That's who I think it is. It's my hypothesis that it's Urshkigal, who was charged as the only one who could pass judgment and give laws in her kingdom of death. This Urshkigal was known as the real leader in hell, not Hades. Hades, though a king, follows Urshkigal's lead, who has all authority in hell. The elites of the world make no bones about this, folks. They want to decrease the world's population in order to save the planet. How their, their phrase is benevolent gen genocide, benevolent genocide in order to save the planet. Since Urshkigal, a.k.a. Ninkigal, are both called the Lady of the Great Earth, it is no wonder that a hallmark of the last days will be seen a push to worship the Earth. Mother Earth's worship, in fact, is on the rise, as well as a need to control the population to protect the Earth from its evils of climate change warning. All fits like a glove if you connect the dots. This fits the theme of the child sacrifice, a.k.a. through abortion now, and the push for the one child, one planet mentality that we've seen on um, billboards in Denver as well as in Vancouver. You can go look up One Child, One Planet. <clears throat> look up their website. Look at those cute little videos they have there. And you'll get, a, you'll get an earful. They want to reduce the world's population to 3 billion people. They make no bones about it. They're very open about it. It's all benevolent. The Georgia Guidestones want to reduce the world's population to 500 million. An elite class with a large surf class, some enforcing class. They rule high on the hog, communism for everyone except them. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, 11 and 12 says this, And for this reason God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie that, that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. End quote. The writer is identified as the one whose name is Death. The pale writer has a Greek name in the Greek mythology here. His name is Thantos, known as the God of Death. The Mesopotamians have there and so forth. They're you have to do a lot of searching to find out all the different names. I'm just going to use Thantos right now to make it simple. So Thantos is seen here riding on Urshkigal, who's giving Thantos the authority to war against God's order and loving design to kill it. He takes his order from Urshkigal, like I said, Mother Earth, if you would like to know who that is in simplicity term. Notice who follows the pale horse and the rider here is Hades. He's a fifth rider because he follows behind death. His goal is hell, and get as many in there as possible. Notice that he follows behind. So there's a big question, big debate goes on nowadays in a lot of circles. Does this mean he is riding piggyback on the same horse, or riding his own horse? In fact, at this point in my research, I do not know the answer. And so the jury is still out on this one. I'm going to let you guys decide. Is he riding on his own horse or is he riding piggyback? But there's actually five riders of the apocalypse. My opinion so far is I don't really know the answer of that question. He could be riding piggyback. He could be riding his own horse. Possibly from the language he's riding piggyback. He follows behind like. Well, let me, let me talk about this fifth writer here. Hades is known also as Pluto. 
He's known as a wealthy one of souls. In other words, he collects what the dead owns. Okay, So Pluto is a wealthy one. He's a giver of wealth and rewards. He supervises the trial and punishment of the dead. Hades, according to the tradition, did not normally judge the dead. That was deferred to the queen of the underworld, that pale horse, Urshkigal, who I was talking about. He follows on the heels of the rider, death. They work together. Thantos hated humanity, and so does Hades. And Thantos was known as the executioner of men and women, who had no mercy. He captures souls and brings them to hell. There the true queen of the dead, Urshkigal, not Persephone, decides where one resides in hell, where Hades simply rubber stamps the decision. The pale horse and rider prepare the way for the Antichrist by teaching humanity uh, the need to justly eliminate many in the, of the world's population to sustainable levels as determined by the governing elites through benevolent genocide. You have a one-child, one-world program I talked about in Georgia Guidestones. All call for a benevolent eugenics. You have abortion, 70 million in American ba babies have been killed. I do not know how many and worldwide. I don't even know the number. It's astronomical. It's a call for benevolent eugenics in order to save humanity, save the planet, despite the fact that 8 billion people could fit all and live in the continent of Africa. Just one continent. Despite that uh, visualization of what a, a continent the size of Africa can support 8 billion people, and the rest of the continents, continents don't have anybody on them. You kind of get the picture here of how much the world can actually support. Just telling you. Okay, cause for a genocide to save humanity. That's what they want. They, they want to slay the innocent. They want to slay God's people. They want to slay babies. They want to slay anybody who resists and are marked for death. For the betterment of humanity's survival. They want to, they, whatever is blacklisted and humiliated as enemies, all fits into what Revelation says, making war against those that resist and putting them to death. So do you see a rise in abortion? Do you see a rise in justifying of eugenics, benevolent eugenics, worldwide today? The four horsemen of the apocalypse are riding right now, preparing the way for the world to embrace the Antichrist, coming as a savior, who, who will arrive riding on a white horse in exchange for their God-given freedom to reason and think for oneself. They'll be pushed into all kinds of stuff in order for this to happen. This is all brought about through an elite trained to make this happen by, a, by planned chaos, the red horse and rider, and lawlessness in the street through pa planned pandemics and pestilences, through planned food shortages, through humiliation and benevolent-sounding genocide, all done so the world looks for a savior riding on a white horse who brings peace out of price, ends starvation, ends the pandemics, solves poverty by means of ruthless economics, who solves global warming by decreasing the world's population, as is written in Second Thessalonians 2.9. The coming of the lawless one is according to all the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying, lying wonders, with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's the uh, New King James. And this God exposes evil for what it is, ruthless and wicked. Expose what these entities are, ruthless and wicked, vile liars, and their human minions. The first four seals describes God's war plan for 
exercising judgment by giving people what they want. A world free of God turned completely over to the spiritual foe to expose what evil is really like that grooms people to accept it no matter what. The fifth seal soon is about to be open, and oh my God, Lord Jesus, help me explain this part. Help people understand what your word means here. Revelation 6, 9, verse 11, out of the New King James, it reads, And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Verse 11, And then a white robe was given to each of them, and was said to them, That they should rest a little while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as many were, was completed. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me try to explain this. These people are the people who stand with God. They love God more than their own life. They understand His boundaries and limits for us, and they want that. They, they know that God established boundaries and limits for our own good and protection against evil. When he opened the door to evil, these entities come in and wreak havoc. They understand that, okay? They love God more than their own life. They come out of the Great Tribulation. They come out before the Great Tribulation. These are all the people martyred for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and suffered great persecution. These are the people who have been abused, hurt, robbed in their life, folks. They're crying out underneath the altar, How long will you be? How long, how long, how long, O oh Lord, will the wicked prosper? And the Lord finally will answer that when he opens the seventh seal. We'll find that out in a minute. Well, these people are like Jesus who was unjustly persecuted, abused, killed for displaying God's goodness on earth. Evil will again seek to kill what is good, rob from it, and bring good to ruin. Well, he, and evil is going to do so to the saints of God who are the Jewish believers and those who are saved during the tribulation period. The Bible says this. It says, precious is the death of a saint. Why is that? Like Jesus, who was betrayed, beaten, mocked, lied about, spat upon, hated, rejected for a rebel, stolen from, whipped, scourged, demanded to perform miracles, deny who he is, crucified, put to death. They will be in the same line as an exercising as a testimony, proving the true nature of evil that leaves no wiggle room for evil can use to get away with it ever again. All their noble-sounding logic, we're doing this for the best of humanity, is exposed, but we gotta beat you. We gotta make you submit. We gotta starve you to submission. We, it's all going to be exposed for the fraud it is. That's why the Lord says, precious is the death of his saints. Like Jesus, they exposed evil. And Jesus on the cross made a public spectacle of him, triumphed over all evil by the cross, took the devil's rule away, and it's going to be finalized at the, by the end of the book of Revelation. There'll be no more evil. So, in other words, the Lord God is exposing evil in his full glory. The slaying of God's love, his order, his freedom from sin that he offers in exchange for a world controlled by the whims of a cruel, tyrannical haters of God and all goodness. David Guzik's commentary says this about this verse in section I, and I quote, it is the way that you live that makes you a martyr, not the way you die. It's the way you live. If you live true for Christ, it may come with a great cost in the upcoming future here. Folks, part of God's war plan is to expose evil for its true intent to overthrow God and his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his, 
He likes to reason with people. He wants to have boundaries of love meant for our protection. When the people of God are attacked, they are marked, and irrefutable evidence is gathered to justify an absolutely just God who is just to all, to justly go to war and finally stop all evil in a tremendously just manner where he leaves no stone unturned. I want to tell you folks, that's strong meat. Lord, help your people understand what I'm trying to say, what you're trying to say in Jesus' name. Folks, now the sixth seal of judgment is going to be open, and God has had enough. The howlongs of the saints are finally answered and exposing a men's hearts that are hell-bent to reject God no matter what are fully exposed by God's war plan being unsealed, just as Revelation 6, 12-13 says. I looked, and he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. So, folks, I'm going to jump right in here to the symbolism and explain the symbolism and break this down for you so you can understand what's being said here. The sun is the symbol of life and glory and light. also refers to the sun deity, the Antichrist here. All his works are going to grow dark because God says, I had enough at some point in time, okay? The moon is, is a light reflector too. It reflects light for, so you can see at night. It's a symbol of judgment and darkness, without a life without God. Um, it also represents the moon god triad and the military command under all that chain of command. It's also being judged here. Just, I'm going to speed this up so you guys just check, you know, I'm going to speed this up for time's sake here. Stars are used as symbol in the Bible for many things, like Abraham's heavenly seed, ministers of the gospel, people who bear light, sons of God, angels, as well as fallen angels and their human minions, is which the context refers to here as fallen angels and their human minions. Okay, All these are being judged and nothing but fear is going to consume them. The how long of the saints is about to be answered. These people have no place to run. All these human elites will have no place to run. All what they seek to control, to enforce tyrannical rule of their new world order is going to be destroyed in the sounding of the seven trumpets. It's a military strike, folks. You go after the logistics to bring them down. That's what God's doing. How he wages war. So, so this is almost a peak in the future here, and we'll see this play out in the book of Revelation. So they're all, the fallen humanity is going to be judged, and the fallen watchers too. And the fallen humanity, uh, fear is going to consume them. There's no place to run and hide. And the mighty stormy wind symbolizes the time before the harshness of winter comes. And also, it can also possibly refer to the storm entities along the in, in, Legions and minions and human minions and everybody that follows in this mighty stormy wind. It's going to be a cold season. It's going to be cold. It's going to be harsh. It's, and God's unleashing all. Holy heck on these people. And the fig is a symbol of Israel. Or it can be any type of an assembly. Good or bad. Figs also symbolize fruitfulness. So one's fruitfulness is right now being shaken. And Israel's fruitfulness will be shaken too. Because the Antichrist is, <clears throat> and the world's elites are going to be drawn in to attack Israel. Why? Because the whole world's going to be thrown into a, 
uh, state of uh, where the elites no longer control everything and where the good soil is and the places where food sources are, they're going to come against. And Israel will be one of those. They want to take it. Okay? So everything's going to be shaken. So you have an assembly. The wicked assembly is going to be shaken. And they're, they are scared. These people are scared because what, what they put their hopes in, this new world order, is about to collapse. And they see something. Okay? All their fruitfulness is shaken. They don't longer have it. We'll get into that as we study in the next couple of chapters about the seven trumpets. Revelation chapter 6, 14 and verse through 17 says this. When the sky receded as a scroll, when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. In verse 15. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in the caves in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand outside of the new King James? Well, God wages war by justly leaving no stone unturned, remember? There's no wiggle room for the foe to escape by walking the fence, claiming they are the I am's of the world. How dare you do this to me, God? If you are really a God of love, you would never punish me. Let me do whatever I want. Despite we don't even do that to our own kids, you know? You don't let them drink rat poison out of a cupboard or Drano. No, you stop them. You have boundaries of love. But the world's elite saying there's no boundaries for them. Do you get it? And folks follow, who are following them think that too. These folks hide from whose wrath? The wrath of the Lamb. Again, David Gusick in, in his commentary on these verses, and I'm going to pair, uh, do this real quickly out of section C, D, and I of these verses, says this, and I quote, The judgment is all more profound because it's the wrath of the Lamb. What sinners dread the most is not death, but the revealed presence of God. It is the wrath of love, the wrath of sacrificial love, which having done with the absolute utmost for us and for, and for our salvation, tells us nothing else could be certainty with which evil awaits its doom in the hands of God, end quote. Well, why these people are hiding in absolute terror is that they're seeing the Lord high and lifted up. They see how low they have gone, and they'll see themselves for who and what they are really like on the inside, that all their noble slogans uh, can't hide or justify the slaughter of babies anymore. The slaughter of the unborn, the taking of your personal property, the taking of your rights, taking away your free speech, are all going to be exposed. They are so reprobate. In other words, there is no remedy for them. They gnash their teeth with hate against God and a crazy, foolish insanity because they reject all God's call to, to repent. Uh, they reject God's call to stop opening the door to the devil to rule their roost. They reject returning back to God through forgiveness shown on the cross of Christ. They for totally reject any repentance because they think their ways are superior and God is the great enemy. How else can a just God judge with equity? If God denied them the right to decide, then how could that really be just? God is no slave to free moral will. In fact, he violates it every day by reasoning to the lost, as he says in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 18 and 20. Where he says out of the New King James, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God reasons 
to people to return to him. To stop opening the door and letting the devil in to feed you devil's food cake. It's just junk food. If not, you, one will face God, his justified wrath that none, no one can stand against. Because his love is so angered at being slighted beyond what you and I can fully imagine. He does that in order to protect those who come to him by simple trust. They realize, I need your loving boundaries. I need you. I need you to protect me. I don't need anybody. I need you, Lord Jesus. I'm returning to your loving boundaries. I'm tired of rat poison. I'm tired of trying to do everything in my own power. I'm coming back to you because I realize now I can't run my life. I cannot make utopia i cannot make things perfect only you can i want to run back in your arms forgive me have mercy folks think about it that's food for thought there's no other way people created with free moral will can learn what good and evil is really like other than by going through the valley of experience folks or even going through the valley of the shadow of death think about it Six seals are open that justify God's war plan to unleash his judgment upon a world hell-bent upon producing evil's idea of utopia governed by tyranny and control the likes you have not seen. We'll see it unfold in the book of Revelation in the later chapters. The last seal is about to be opened in the next chapter when the angel tosses the prayers of the saints onto the earth indicating that the how long prayers are finally being answered. How long will evil keep prevailing are going to be answered. The angel takes that, that vial of God's prayers and throws it to the earth so the seven trumpets sound a military strike against what the elites think they control. We will explore this more next week on the Christian Marauder. With that, I'm going to roll out the video to the end here with my contact information. With that, you guys be blessed in Jesus' name.